but it's okay. God is good. He does what is right. Well, good morning. Well, welcome to Everglades. What an amazing privilege it is to be here in his house for the glory of his name. And so what I want to do right now, let's just go to Lord in prayer because we're going to have a roller coaster ride through the book of Job. We're in Job chapter 9, verses 1 through 16. So if you would, let's pray together. We'll read. We may pray again because uh, this sermon is going to be a doozy. Okay? So, Father, will you have your way in us today? For the glory of your name, Father, would you please today, Lord God, help us to see that you are sovereign over what is right, what is just. You're sovereign over creation and you're sovereign over wisdom. For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So I ask that you would have your way in us today as we open up your word. Help us to just actually do what it says. Because Lord God, where else can we go when we have the words of life and the words of hope and the words of comfort and the words of grace and mercy? Father, have your way. Father, we just ask that you would just have your way because Lord God, without you, we have nothing. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you are, if you have your Bibles, uh, we're gonna be in uh, Job chapter nine, verses one through 16. We're only gonna read the first, uh, the first four verses together, but then we'll talk about it all. So if you're able to stand, please stand as we read the word of God. Then Job answered and said, I know it is of a truth, but how shall a man be just with God? If he will contend with him, he cannot answer him one in a thousand. He is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who hath hardened himself against him and hath prospered? Oh, Father, will you please bless the reading of your word? And now, Lord God, will you, will you bless the preaching of your word? And may the words of my heart, the meditations of my heart, be pleasing in your sight, because, Lord God, it is your word that is, uh, needs to be explained and exposited, not my opinions. So I pray that you'd have your way, your glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so you may be seated if you want to. So Job wrote chapter 9, verses 1 through 16, for the purpose of addressing God's justice and judgment, that he is sovereign over both, that God's sovereign over creation and God's sovereign over over wisdom. Today you will see that God is sovereign over justice, creation, and wisdom. I know that's a huge stretch, but let's figure it out. God is sovereign in his justice, in his judgment. He is sovereign. Listen to what it says in Job 9.1. And Job answered and said. Job actually listened and then spoke. He listened to the attacks of his friends. And they are his friends. They are godly friends who have lost focus of truth. But I believe that they were faithful friends. But imagine, if you will, you're struggling with loss about how much your sin has caused all the problems you're going through. Even though you have walked uprightly and you've honored God all the way through. And you ponder the loss that he faced. All his wealth. All his children all his health. Wouldn't this drive you to utter despair? Because I believe it would for me. Because 
All these struggles, envision all the struggles sitting there in ashes and hurts immeasurable brokenness beyond belief. And even your loved ones tell you you should curse God and die. Not exactly words of encouragement, I know. So if you could fathom even in the slightest, you may come close to what Job is experiencing. And even in the angst and the tension that we see with his friends constantly proclaiming that all of this has occurred because of his own sin. You can even see why Job actually defends himself before them and justifies himself before God. But actually saying that God is being unfair. God is somehow not good. But... But Job remembers truth. He knows truth. Listen to what he says in verse 2. And I know this is of a truth. How should a man be just with God? How shall a man be just with God? So he begins this chapter in, and in his response to Bildad with the acknowledgement of the truth that God is the one that is, you know, he's the one that is true because he says, how can any man be right with God? By the way, this question didn't just come from Bildad. It actually also came from Eliphaz. Eliphaz in chapter 4, verse 17 says, Shall mortal man be more just than God? Shall a man be more pure than his maker? Can we, be, can we more, mere mortal men be more right than God? Can we more, be more pure than God? Isn't it funny? When we're struggling, we begin to see God is unfair why are, you have, why are you letting this happen to me? Why are you allowing me to go through all this struggle, all this hurt, all this pain? And it's funny that we sometimes begin to think that we actually know more than God and we have better plans and better purposes. And so I want you to think about, then he, he, you see Bildad ask a similar question in Job 8.3. Doth God pervert judgment? And doth the Almighty pervert justice? Listen, let me help you here. God never perverts anything, not his right judgment, not his justice. God, God can only be what he is. Let, let God be true and every man a liar, Romans 3, 4. God is true. He is right and all of his truths are good. He is just. By the way, he's not just just. I know that sounds like a weird, really weird way to put it, I know. But... He is the epitome of justice. He is the definition of what is right. Guys, there's a word, aseity, A-S-E-I-T-Y. If I spell it wrong, I don't care. And what that means is God is not just just, he's altogether just. He's not just holy, he's altogether holy. He's not just wrathful, he's altogether wrathful against sin. He is all that and more because God is the right one. Bildad wanted to know, as did Eliphaz, how can a man maintain that he is right in, the, in opposition to God? So they're judging Job. And, and so you see, and so Job is admitting, I know it's true. You know, I, I know it's true. How should a man be right with God? So I thought Psalm 19, verse 12, which we had gone through several, uh, several weeks ago. And this is what it says, who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. The psalmist says, who can understand his wrongs? Who can understand his sins? Who can understand the wrong that he do, that they do? Who can rightly understand all their sin? God can, and God does. 
He understands it all. No human, because even if we are redeemed, we are still broken. Even if we're redeemed, we have that, that, that indwelling sin that is not done away with at the cross. We still have this sin that we battle with and fight with. Why? Because we were born in sin. But see, what, what Christ has done is he has taken away the stain of sin, but we still have this indwelling sin. So who can understand their errors? Can you? Think about sinners for a moment. Um, now, I'm talking about those who do not know Christ and believe they know better than God. In uh, Psalm 14, 3 says, they are gone, all gone aside. That includes us. But if you read verse 1, it actually says, a fool is one who says in his heart, there is no God. And so, but listen to what it says in 3. It says, they all are gone aside. They all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Well, how many do good? Well, no, not one. None. And so, and then uh, Psalm 53, every one of them has gone back. They all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Same thought, reiterated. And then you see Romans 3, 12. They're all gone out of the way. They all together have been, become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Or Romans 3, 23. All have sinned. And what? Come short of the glory of God. So you see this battle going on even in the New Testament. We have God is the just one. We are not the just ones. But when he redeems us, we are now called just ones, but we're called to really chase after him, seek him, seek after righteousness, befriend righteousness. And so there's a beauty here. Then Here's what it says in Romans 3.20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. All the law can do is tell us that there is a problem. It is a mirror to the soul. It can only indicate the problem. It cannot solve the problem. And I, I, I heard Adrian Rogers use this analogy. He's riding down the street. The engine light comes on. And he knows how to handle it. He gets the hammer starts hitting the engine light. And it goes off. But the problem is he didn't solve the problem. There's something causing that. It's an indicator light. And so... We, we have, God, God has given us a law to show us how wicked we are. Romans uh, 9.3, I'm not Romans, I'm sorry, Job 9.3 says, If he will contend with him, now he meaning man, if he will contend with him, he cannot answer him one of a thousand. So if man were to contend with God, he would not even be able to answer God one word out of a thousand. Basically, he has no Answer. Colin Dielich says, if a man were to contend with God, he would be so confounded, so disarmed by the reason of the infinite distance between the feeble crea uh, creation to the creator. God is better and bigger and he is the one that made us and formed us and so he knows everything about us. He is the one that knows. No man can contend with God and win. For Jacob he, he did not win because he was strong. He won because God was gracious and allowed him to live. Yes, he walked away with a little bit of a limp, but Jacob was changed not because he was all that in a bag of chips, because God was all that and more. 
And so God allowed him to prevail for God is all-knowing and he is sovereign. That 1 Corinthians passage we read at the beginning, 1 Corinthians 1, 18, For the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those which are uh, saved, it is the power of God. God saves sinner by his wisdom in sending his son to die in the place of sinners so sinners can repent and believe the gospel. And so this is brilliant. God's justice prevailed. He is the just one. And so then it goes on in verse 19. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. So the wisdom of God is foolishness to those who are perishing. But God saves through his wisdom what the world hates. He saves with wisdom. He has perfect wisdom. Wisdom. Remember, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but he has perfect wisdom. Let me tell you who does not have perfect wisdom in this book. It is not God. God has perfect wisdom. But let me give you a list. Bildad, Sophar, Eliphaz, and even Job do not fully grasp the knowledge of God, the wisdom of God. Job's friends attributed Job's, uh, Job's problems to his sin. And Job unfairly criticized God thinking he knew why these things were happening to him, it's because God is being unfair and not right. And so God's wisdom is better than the wisdom of man. So uh, think about this. The, the wrath of man does not equal the righteousness of God. That's in uh, James chapter 1, verse 20. Our anger never, ever, ever equals the righteousness of God. His anger is different from ours. Ours is vengeful and hateful, and we want to see someone go down. But God's anger is perfect and holy, and he always, always, always does what is right. And so, look at verse 4. It says, For he is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who hath hardened himself against him and hath prospered? So he, meaning God, is wise in heart. He is the epitome of wisdom. He is not just wise. He is all wise. He's not just, he doesn't just know. He knows all things. That's why it's so mind-boggling to think that people do not see God as knowing it all. He made it all. He formed it all. He knows it all. And he doesn't need your advice. And he doesn't need your explanation. You do not need to explain away God's wisdom or omniscience all knowingnesses okay and so he is all together these things because he is the one who is right and holy and just so then he asked this question okay remember he doesn't have to answer a man for a man is but a creature but god is god the mighty one who rules over all and so this question that he asks who has hardened himself against God and prospered? Let me help you here. No one who hardens himself against God will prosper until they're brought to their knees by the God who breaks men of sin and calls them to righteousness. Paul says, I'm, I'm the wicked, most wicked of sinners, doesn't he? Chief of all sinners. Okay, Romans chapter 9 verse 17 is an example. 
For the scripture saith of, unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose I have raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, that my name shall be declared through all the earth. He raised Pharaoh up so his name would be glorified. It is not about Pharaoh. Just like this, Job, this book of Job is not about Job. This book is about the God of Job. The righteous God of Job. The sovereign God of Job. So Pharaoh, he was raised up to show the power of God. Listen to what it says in Exodus 4.21. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that are put in your power. But I will harden his heart so they will not let my people go. He goes, you're going to go and you're going to do these miracles before him, but he will not listen to you. I've hardened his heart. Okay? And so why is that so important? And listen, Pharaoh hardened his heart too. But God had already said he would harden his heart because God knows. He is the one that has planned it and purposed it. He is the planning God. He's not just playing catch up. He plans and purposes. He turns the hearts of kings like he turns a river. I believe that's in Proverbs 23.1. And if I'm wrong, don't shoot. Okay, so Romans 9.18. Therefore, listen to what this says. This is powerful. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he will have mercy and whom he will he hardens. God is sovereign over everything. His justice, his wisdom, he is just sovereign. And so he's sovereign over salvation. God shows mercy to whom he will show mercy. He hardens those he hardens. No one will stand against God and be victorious in the end. God wins. Genuine love wins. Not this love that our world has today. God is love but he is the epitome of love he is all these things wrapped together in god and he is perfect and holy god is god when god has to take you know uh, perform his justice it's not that justice reigns over god it's because god is just and the just one and that's really important and so as a command for his saints you know in in uh, in Hebrews 3, 7, listen to what it says. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, if you will hear his voice, listen, harden not your hearts. As in the day of provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness, we are warned not to harden our hearts as in the day of provocation. What is the day of provocation? It's the day the people of God rebelled and was sentenced to travel in the wilderness until all that generation were dead. Okay? Why did they go into that rebellion? Because of their unbelief. They did not believe God. Guys, what's the only way people will go to hell is when they do not repent and believe in Christ. Christ is the one that takes the place of sinners. I want you to listen to what it says in Nahum. Nahum 1 2. God is jealous. And he and the Lord revenges. He revenges and is furious with the uh, um, is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserves his wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger 
and great in power and will not acquit the wicked. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind, in the storm, in the clouds, in the dust of his feet. The clouds are the dust of his feet. So God is jealous for his own glory. Not our jealousy. He is about him. By the way, you are only redeemed today because God redeemed you. Not because you had some worth in yourself, but God redeems his people because God is always, always, always about his own glory, honor, and praise. And you know what? That's why you have salvation today because God is about his own glory. If you're here and you know Christ, he's always about his own glory. But yet he's slow to anger and abundant in steadfast love. He is patient. He is powerful. He is sovereign. Listen to what he doesn't do. He will not acquit. He will not acquit or declare the wicked not guilty. Sin must be, must be punished. Sin must, he, God is just and he cannot let sinners go without his wrath being satisfied. By the way, if you get a chance to re, uh, to watch the movie on um, Amazon, no, not Amazon, uh, AGTV. It's a Christian uh, TV thingy. And uh, it's called American Gospel, Christ Crucified. And what they do a really good job on that is the justice of God in the penal substitution. Someone had to die. Because God is holy and righteous. And no sin can be in his presence. So, here's a Paul Washer quote. And so Christ raised his hand up to heaven to, uh, and took on the wrath of God, that great cup, and drank it down. And when he cried out, it is finished. Tetelestai, right? It is finished. He turned it over and not one drop came out. He drank the wrath of God. He satisfied the justice of of God and appeased the wrath and therefore God can now be both just and justify the sinner. This is what he has done. So God is sovereign over his justice. Or if you want to say it instead of justice, maybe justice is too broad. God is sovereign over his rightness. And so a second truth, God is sovereign over creation. Look at 9.5, which removeth the mountains and they knew not and overturned them in his anger, and shaketh the earth out of her place, and the pillars thereof uh, tremble. So he is the God who made the mountains. He's also the one that moves the mountains. He's also, guess what? The one who is wise in heart, and the mighty men did not even know, nor did they understand the, the sovereignty of God over his creation. God is sovereign. And listen, this is important. Sovereignty means he does what he wants. He doesn't need us to help him with his plan. Praise God, he uses us in his plan. And so, he shakes the foundation of the world. It is not as secure as we would think. The pillars of the earth, which seem stable, tremble at his commands. Guys, think of the past hundred years. How many natural disasters have happened? Because, because you know what? We have very little control. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Anyone remember that COVID? Oh, it's still around, isn't it? We, did we have any control? No. But God uses it for his own glory. And so 
He, he, this is the God. Watch what happens in Job 9, 7, which commands the sun and it riseth not and sealeth up the stars. So he is the sovereign God over creation, the sun, the moon, the stars, and they shine as per his decree. He commands and they listen. I want you to listen to the power of God in this verse. Joshua chapter 10, verse uh, 13 says, And the sun stood still, and the moon stayed until the people avenged themselves upon their enemies. Is it not written in the book of Jasher? And so the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and hasted not to go down until the whole day. So the sun wouldn't go down on this one battle until the battle was won. Who does that? Joshua? He's got no control. He's got no power. But God caused the sun to stand still until the battle was won, until Joshua was victorious, but all at the command of God. God is the one. He who made the heavens and the earth commands them. Look what it says in Job 9, 8. Which alone spreadeth the heaven, out the heavens and spreadeth the waves of the sea. He alone spreads the heaven. He alone treads and walks up the waves of the sea. This picture should immediately drive you to when Jesus actually calms the sea. There's a raging, raging storm going on. And he gets up and says, peace, be still, and bam. And I want you to listen to the disciples when they try to fathom this power of Christ. Mark 4, 41. And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Jesus is the sovereign God. He is the one. He is the one that made it all and formed it all. He is the one. Job 9.9 says, Which maketh Architurus and Orion and the Pleiades and the chambers of the south so God made these, these star constellations, okay? Uh, Architosaurus, I don't even know how to say that. The constellation of Ursa Major, the great bear. He crafted Orion, the one that looks like a belt, and he dubbed it Orion's belt, right? That's how it's dubbed today. He fashioned the Pleiades, composed of six bright and, and, and then other many lesser bright stars, bright, less, or oh, whatever, dimmer lights. Okay, so he is over everything. So that again should drive you again to scripture in, in uh, Psalm 19.1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his heavy work. So the heavens declare the brightness of who God is. Or Psalm 33 verse 6. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made and all the hosts of them. By the breath of his mouth. He made it all and he formed it all. And listen... It, just an aside, if you go to Psalm 147, where it says he healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. Don't miss that next one, verse 4. And he numbers the stars and gives them all a name. He is the sovereign God. That's what he does. Okay, The heavens declare the weightiness, the splendor, the honor, the brightness, the majesty that belongs to God and God alone. And here's where I want to take a, I'm going to make a shout out uh, to Allie. Allie. I learned a lot from you just giving me this song. I'm going to read it to you. Please be patient. And he goes on, and this is what the song says. 
I said, God, I do not understand this world. Everything is dying and broken. Why do I see nothing but suffering? God, I'm asking, could this be your plan? Sin has taken hold of this whole land. Will you not say anything else to me? He said, and then here's God's response. Listen, where were you the day that I measured, sunk the banks and stretched the line over all the earth and carved out its cornerstone? Where were you the day that I spoke and told the sun to split the night open, caused the morning dark with its light to show? Who shut in the ocean with stone doors, marked the reaches of tides on those new shores, hung the day, uh, uh, hung the, day the waves rose and first broke forth? Have you seen the springs of the great sea? Walk the caverns carved in the black deep? Through the gates of darkness, they're on the floor. Have you seen the army I hold? Snow and hail stacked up in silos. For times of trouble and war and strife. Can you raise your voice to the storm cloud? Uh, okay, so there. Um, would the thunder answer and ring out? Does lightning ask you where it should strike? Who has cleft the uh, channels of torrents, rain to sprout the desert with forest in the wilderness that my hands have built? Can you hunt the prey for young lions? Can you use the Orion? Is the whole earth bending beneath your will? And here's Job's response. I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me. Although I had no right to ask, my God knelt and answered me. If you get a chance to listen, it's from Ghost Ship. I, I, I didn't write it, okay? Um, but what an amazing song. And as you're looking through Job, it actually helps a little bit to paint this picture, okay? But God's word is enough because you see all those things he said right there in the scriptures. So creation shouts to who God is. For it is general revelation, but praise God for the special revelation that comes. Because the special revelation is proclaiming Christ, which began to be proclaimed before eternity past, before creation, before one rock, one tree. There's this plan to come that Jesus would die and save sinners. Okay, so from, from before Genesis, this is what it says in Hebrews 1-2. Hath in these last days spoken on, unto us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, by whom he made, also he made the world. Everything was made by Jesus, for Jesus. He is the one. And he is, so God has appointed Jesus the heir of all things. And this one says in Colossians 1.17, And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. By Christ all things hold together. Because he holds it together. So he's before all things. He holds all things. Hebrews 1.3 says, Who be in the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sin, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is the brightness of God's glory, the express image of who God is. He reflects God perfectly because Jesus is God. And he is upholding all things by the word of his power, holding all things together. And his shed blood where we have our forgiveness of sin, it all comes to him. And here's the question, have you trusted in that? 
he by himself purged our sin and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So he is God. Have you trusted God who is sovereign not only uh, over, over justice and over creation, but even salvation, but then he's also sovereign over wisdom. Watch what happens in verse 10. God is sovereign over wisdom, which doth great things past finding out. Yea, wonders without number. God does great things way past finding out. What does it mean? God does things that we do not understand. It's what he does. Do you, do you understand gravity all that much? Now, the science teacher might. Uh, uh, I'm not a scientist. All I know is if you walk off a, 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 a building, you will fall down. That's, I think, gravity. Okay? But the thing is, he understands it all. I don't know how it all works, but I don't need to know. I just know that God is, you know, God is the one. He made it all and formed it all. So he won, his wonders that he does are without number. And this should drive us again back to Scripture, to Deuteronomy 29, 29. I know this is one of Pastor Eric's uh, verses. That it's a go-to verse for him. So the secret things belong unto God, unto the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. So, all right, here's the question. The things revealed belong to us and our children, right? But the, those things that are not revealed, they belong to God. He is sovereign over them. Here's the question. How do you know what's a secret thing that only God knows? And what is the thing that you know? Well, if it reveals to you, you know it. It's no longer secret. I mean, that's just logic. Okay? So... We will not know that until we're in his presence. And then we will know more and more about him throughout all eternity. Because he is. He is just amazing and awesome. So God does not reveal everything uh, to us at one time. He, he, done, he does things in, in pieces at times. I know things revealed belong to us and to our children. Let's teach those. Don't worry about what you don't know. Be faithful in what you do know. So... So here's what it says in Romans 11.33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. His ways are past finding out. God's ways are unsearchable, inscrutable. You guys will never, ever get to the end of who God is. That's kind of what is so exciting about preaching God's word. I, I, I don't know about you, Doug. Uh, Pastor Doug, sorry. I don't know about you, but as I learn more, I'm thinking, man, why didn't I know this before? And you know why? Because they're too wonderful for me. And, and so, guys, I'm going to forget a lot of the stuff I learned. Why? Because I, I don't have that mind that remembers everything. And that's okay. The cool thing is as we go into God's Word, we learn more and more about who God is, which should put us on a proper foundation to rest on who Christ is and what the word of God says and not our opinions look at Job 9:11. lo he goes by me and I see him not he passes on also but I perceive him not so lo look behold God passes by him he goes I don't even know he's going by me and you wouldn't because God doesn't work the way we think he should. You know, we don't see the, we, we don't see, oh my goodness, look, there's God's footstep. 
And though I love that uh, streams in the desert, you know, when there was one sent you would carry me. I mean, that's all really nice and good. But you know what? I don't need that to know that God carries because he's the one that holds fast. Didn't we just read that in Colossians 117? Through him, all things what? Hold together or consist. So he is this sovereign God who holds but Job says, I don't even know what he's coming by me. Look at Job 9.12. Behold, he taketh away. Who can hinder him? Who will say to him, what doest thou? Behold, God takes away. Who can stop God from taking away? I, I, I know I said, I've said this to you before, but when I first woke up from my, my slumber last year, my brother, uh, my brother Mike is there. My brother Mike says, you beat this time. Yeah. I said, Mike, I couldn't even wake up. God woke me up. And I said these words, and he, he would agree if he saw me, if he sees this. I said, you better start doing business with the God who woke me up. Because God is the sovereign one. He is the one. If he takes my life, who's going to stop him? You? My, my, my bride is a medical provider. And she said, uh, yeah, we didn't think you were going to make it. Thanks, sweetie. But that, that's not my point. My point is, God is sovereign. Who's going to ask him? Who's going to say to him, why are you doing what you're doing? So Paul gets real jugular. That's what it says in uh, Romans 9.20. Nay, but, oh man, who art thou that replies against God? Shall the thing formed say unto him that formed it, why hast thou made me this way? By the way, how many of you have ever said that to yourselves? Isn't it interesting? But God is the sovereign one. And there's a reason and a purpose. You know, in school, uh, I remember the sociologist told my parents I was retarded. And uh, that, that, when I found that out, that hurt. And I, I got mad at my parents, I did. But you know what? I realized something, that I don't have to be what people think I am. I only need to be what God has called me to be. Now, did I understand that back then? No, I got pretty hot. I yelled at my dad. I yelled at my mom. Finally, I just said, all right, fine, whatever. This retard's got a master's degree. And uh, what do I say that? Because God doesn't need men's opinions. We are what we are because God made us that way and formed us that way. So who's going to say to the great I am, why did you do this or why did you do that? Guys, is it wrong to ask these questions? I'd say no. Now, don't expect God to say, oh my goodness, because you asked, let me tell you. Okay? But uh, I just want to point out that God is good and he does what is right. If God would have taken my life, he would have been right and still good. But praise be to God, I'm still here. Otherwise, you wouldn't be hearing this message. Okay, Job 3.13. If God could, will not withhold his anger, listen to what it says, the proud helpers do stoop under him. And so if God doesn't withhold his anger, withhold or turn away from his wrath, the proud helper, those who are of Rahab or arrogant, they would stoop and fall and die. Guys, why doesn't God just judge the earth now? Because he's patient. 
Until, by the way, until he's patient no more. Because there is coming a time. Those who belong to this arrogance will be judged by God. Uh, you know, if God were to hold on to his anger, because sin separates and condemns. Job 9.14. Listen to what Job... Hear his, broke, hear his brokenness here. How much less, verse 14, how much less shall I answer him and choose out my words to reason with him? Whom, though I were righteous, yet I would not answer, but I would make supplication to my God. If I called and he answered me, yet I would not believe that he had hearkened unto me. Listen, he, he begins to make some statements. How can he reason with these words with God? who gives him the, Ill, the ability to use these words, give him, gave language. Job said that if he, if he were righteous, he could still not answer God. And if he commits himself to plead with God, make supplication to God, his judge, if Job were to call out to God, and even if God were to give him an answer, Job wouldn't believe him. Did you see that? Because he's broken and he's undone. Guys, everything is falling apart. Everything is dying and broken. So if you were to call it, why would Job say this? Let me just be honest here. He's being judgmental of God. He's, you know, he's saying that God would not listen. Does God really not listen? Listen, God listens and he hears. It's just not always the answer you want. Sometimes it's not the answer I want. He didn't believe God would respond and even hear his pleas, even if God were to address his concerns. Why? You know, do, do we do this too? Listen, let's be careful that we do not follow that example of Job because God is good and he does what is right. How do we respond when we fear or feel God has abandoned us to our hurts and our pains? I think we respond biblically. Well, how do you respond biblically? I think Psalm 61 is a great example. But let me begin it with this. Cling to his word. Cling to his truth. Cling to his promises. Cling to what God has done. Remember those things. Listen to what it says in Psalm 61, verse 1. To the chief musician, upon Negev, a psalm of David. Listen. Hear my cry, O God. Attend unto my prayer. Listen to me, God, and answer me. He's pleading with God. From the ends of the earth, I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to a rock that is higher than I. So think about that. He goes, God, I'm going to cry to you from wherever I'm at because I have nothing else. My heart is overwhelmed. It's tired. It's done. Lead me to a rock that is higher than I. Lead me to Christ. Lead me to God. Lead me to you. And so it's a desperate plea. From a desperate man to the God who heals and restores. And then he, verse 3, if you get a chance to look at this, have at it. It, it, it uses the past tense. It says, for thou hast been a shelter. You have been a shelter for me. A shelter protects. And a strong tower from the enemy. A tower protects. In fact, a tower is what they, I, I think is what they call a keep. Okay, it's the thing that looks like a rope from... Uh, from chess, you know, that thing. And in there uh, usually is kept the armory, uh, archer, archery and whatnot. And they stand upon the wall and... Or is it bing, bing? I don't know. But 
So he remembers that God has been his protector and his protector. Look at verse 4. Watch the tense. For the English teacher out there, it changes from have been to what? Will be. Listen, I will abide in your tabernacle, in your tent forever. I will trust in the covert or the cover of your wings. I, I have been able to trust you here, and so I can trust you here. So let me end with these few words. Are you resting in who God is? Are you resting in him? Are you clinging to his word? Are you resting to the fact that God is the one that fights the battles? All you're called to do is stand. It's not for you to take up a water pistol filled with holy water and attack the gates of hell. You stand. He fights. You preach the gospel. You explain the gospel. You proclaim the gospel. You share the gospel with the lost. That is how the battle is won. Because God saves sinners still. And listen, I'm sorry. If this is going to offend you, forgive me. But I think the church today really has a very sissy Jesus. They have a Jesus that's wringing his hands. Oh my goodness, will you just come? What will I do? He took the wrong turn. Well, listen, he is God. He is the sovereign God. He is not trying to save. He saves. And he saves to the uttermost. He is the only hope that we have. So, maybe we could end with this note. Spurgeon, uh, he says he was listening to a really, really not very good preacher. But the man kept on going back to, uh, it's, uh, I think it was Psalm 42. Okay. Um, I don't remember exactly, but I'll, I'll tell you what it said. It says, look to Christ. Look to Christ. Look to Christ. And Spurgeon on that day, look to Christ for salvation. That is the sovereign God. And he saves. Listen, faith comes by hearing. How's the rest of that go? Hearing comes by the word of God. Let's proclaim the word because that's all we got. We have nothing more we can offer. He is the sovereign God. So let's pray together. We'll sing together when you stand after she come, they come up here. Father, thank you so much for your mercies, for your truths, for your promises today, Lord God. Let Christ be exalted. Your name be praised, honored, and adored. Father, I ask that you would have your way. Father, show us your glory today, Lord God. Because, Lord God, where else can we go? We have the words of life and the words of hope. Oh, Father, today, help us just to remember you are the sovereign God. You save. You save to the uttermost. Call us to wisdom. Call us to maturity. Call us, Lord God, to rest in Christ. And if there's someone here that doesn't know you, may today be the day they look to Christ and live. In Jesus' name, amen. You may stand as we sing um, our final. Uh, which one? Well, I love that. Amazing Grace.